Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is a podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It's Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Chip Conley. hey And we are so excited about this conversation. What'd Chip do? He, uh, Chip has done a lot. Uh, a lot of stuff. He used to work, actually, he still works for... Airbnb. He used to be Airbnb's head of global hospitality like that Airbnb. and strategy for four years. And today he acts as the company's strategic advisor for hospitality and leadership. But before that, for about 26 years, he actually owned his own chain of hotels. So this is a, this is a person who has tons of experience, tons of skin in the game. Great conversation. Oh, yeah. He actually today releases a book called Wisdom at Work which is phenomenal. So this book is amazing for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is because uh, there's this this idea right now in our culture about how um, being young and smart, like Mark Zuckerberg or all of these different young CEOs, is, is kind of the way to go, right? And this is the way that you have success. You just have to be smarter, have a better idea than everybody else. And what Chip is really coming in and saying is, great, have those things, but also figure out what it looks like to have people in your corner who have done things that you haven't and gone places that you haven't gone to yet to be able to help you bring wisdom and things into the conversation you might not think of or just helping you to be grounded. He talks a lot about emotional intelligence in this episode. So phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. He gives a lot of keys for how organizations can work or not organizations generations can work right. in the same organization together in order so that they can thrive now before we get to this conversation we have our learner's corner recommended resource of what? the week what, what what is it my recommended resource is a book called the life giving leader by tyler reagan and you might be thinking i know that name that's because he's been on this podcast. Yes. We had a great conversation with him. We talked um, a little bit about the book, um, but we cover a ton of content outside of that in our previous conversation with him. But I highly recommend it. He talks about how one of the leader's jobs is to continually give and um, and help leaders and help the people that are following you experience greater life in your organization, which don't we all want we that? We all want that. Right. And so we highly recommend that you pick up this book. It also releases today. And we will link to our conversation with Tyler in the show notes. That way you can go back and hear a little bit more context for um, for for him, about him, and some of the conversations that we had with him. We also have a couple other things I want to let you know about before we get to our conversation with Chip. And the first is that we have, actually we are going to be a part of a conference called the together conference and we're going to be up there on saturday september 29th you know we've talked about it we've been talking about it the past couple of weeks it's an akron uh, it is in akron ohio lebron land it. it's a half day conference with a concert by swoop at the end of it you are just not gonna want to miss this conference it is going to be so 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 good and if you don't know who swoop is Go to Spotify, go to Apple Music, go to wherever you get your music from, and look up All the Time by Swoop. It's my favorite song that he does. Go check that out. Phenomenal. 
But hey, this is a conference that you and I know love to go to because it helps to give us a perspective that we might not normally have. And so this is a this is a place where conversations are started, they're not ended. This is a place where people can be able to see things from a different perspective or to be able to find a spot where there is a common thread and a common experience. And so tons of people are going to be here. There's going to be people of every ethnicity, every every gender, all sorts of people are going to be gathered here. And it's going to be a great time to be able to fellowship together, learn together, and hopefully grow together. If you're interested, but you're like, I don't know, because I just don't know what this is going to be like, they're actually releasing all of the talks from from Together Conference last year. They're releasing those. You can go to their website and, and grab those and, and just be able to listen through and hear a little bit about what you about what went on last year. Those are phenomenal. Uh, Citizens Akron's podcast. Yep, and all of that stuff will be linked in the show notes as well because we want to make it as easy as possible for you to be there. The other thing we want to let you know about is that we are also going to be in Lancaster. Almost. You're almost there. It's Lancaster. Lancaster. Nope. Lancaster. Lancaster. Guys, we have a five-hour car ride to get there. I will. I promise you I'll have him I, I'll have him ready. I don't know. I struggle with pronunciation. But anyway, we're going to be in, what is it, Todd? Lancaster. Pennsylvania on Tuesday, September 25th. We're going to be there for an Orange Tour site. And then at the beginning of October, we're going to be down in Atlanta at the Catalyst Conference. In the ATL. And so if you are going to be at any one of those three things, let us know. We would love for you to say hi. And, yeah, don't be afraid to come up to us or hit us up on any of our social media stuff and let us know. Caleb likes caramel macchiatos. You can get him a caramel macchiato if you see him. I like a lot of different things. You do. Not just that. Anyway, we have a great conversation with Chip. However, before we get into that, we just want to give you a heads up and let you know is that um, there's some language in this that you may find offensive. And so just want to let you know, just want to let you know, because we have a great conversation with Chip. And here we go. Well, Chip, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. It's great to be with you, Caleb. You know, just as we're getting started, you know, you're getting ready to release a book called Wisdom at Work. And was there a particular moment uh, or a particular event that happened that made you want to write this book? Yeah, I um, joined the Young Airbnb Founders uh, five and a half years ago. And I was a longtime hotelier. And they wanted me, Brian, the CEO and co-founder, asked me to be his mentor. And so I thought what you mean, what it meant to be a mentor in the modern era is you just come in and you, you know, take all your accumulated knowledge and you just spill it on the table. And what I learned in that first few weeks of at age 52, joining a tech company for the first time is that the modern elder, uh, who I would say is as much a student as they are a sage is there to learn as much as they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I realized that, um, no one had taught me that. There was not a book about what does it mean to be a, a modern elder. Um, and uh, so within Airbnb, and I was, I've been there now five and a half years, was the head of global hospitality and strategy for four years and now a strategic advisor to the founders. Um, I think what I'm trying to help do here is help young people and older people know how they can learn from each other and create a new kind of intergenerational collaboration based upon learning. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I hear, can, can you can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like, in terms of practical, like practically, what what are you, what does that look like on a regular basis? Well, 
I love the fact that your podcast is all about learning. So my book is all about learning. And um, I think, first of all, I, I'll tell you, I'll take you through two, two thoughts. One is on a personal level and one on an organizational level. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, um, for someone who's a little older, I'll speak for myself here. Someone who's a little older, I think there's four key lessons. It's almost like a rite of passage you have to go through. The first lesson is to evolve, which basically means you have to move beyond all of that accumulated knowledge and shed and edit the historical identities that are no longer serving you. For me, I had been a CEO of a boutique hotel company I'd started for 24 years. But when I joined Brian to be his mentor, the company did not need a second CEO. And so if I sort of came at it from the perspective of, I'm just going to operate as if I was running my own company, it would never have worked. So the first lesson is to just know that it's important to evolve. The second lesson is literally learn. Um, and I think that what that means is you can have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Um, in some parts of your life, you could have one and other parts of your life, another. What I learned at Airbnb is the only way I was going to succeed is if I had a growth mindset, which meant that I really needed to be open to being a beginner's mind, be curious, be open to being the dumbest person in the room. And when you're the oldest person in the room and you're also the dumbest person in the room, that's not, not exactly a combination that, that people envy. Um, but it, what it did is it allowed me to intern publicly and mentor privately. So let me explain what that means. Yeah. So I think one of the great things about being uh, different than everybody else in the room, being older, for, in my case, was it meant that I wasn't, people didn't see me as a competitive threat. They actually saw me as this a little bit of a curiosity, and and they actually were sort of surprised that in many ways I would come into the room and I was the most curious person in the room. And and what's interesting in a lot of organizations is there's they're full of very young, brilliant people who want to prove how much they know, and this is why we would call them a know-it-all. And if you're a know-it-all, it means you're no longer learning because if you know it all, you don't need to learn. And I was surrounded by a lot of people who were really well-meaning. But they were sort of intellectually jousting about who knew the most. I mean, Airbnb is full of really smart people and really good people. So I want to make sure I'm saying this in a way that doesn't sound like a snide. People were good people, but at times, a catalytic question, a catalytic, a catalytic curiosity, an ability to frame a question that says, oh, my gosh, I never thought of it that way. So I actually asked a lot of why and what if questions. Um, as opposed to what and how questions. What and how questions are optimization questions. Um, it means that you're sort of settled on what you're doing. Why and what if questions ask you mean you're asking bigger questions. Um, so long story short is that was the second lesson. The third lesson was collaboration. Uh, the nice thing about as you get older, you actually learn emotional intelligence and collaboration skills, and that's really important on teams. And then finally, the fourth lesson was counsel. Um, and so I was, I turned out, I was a mentor to over a hundred people in the company, even though that wasn't my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think on a personal level, I think on an organizational level, we need to learn how to create intergenerational collaboration and sharing of wisdom in both directions. Historically, it went, it went in one direction from old to young. The young have so much to teach us who are older. And it's, and I call this the, the EQ for DQ trade agreement. I have some EQ, and EQ, which is emotional intelligence, is actually quite important in companies. 
because it means you, you can understand people better. You're self-aware. You know how to regulate your emotions. You actually know how to build an alliance with people. Those are important skills, and a lot of tech companies full of young people that don't have a modern elder, so to speak, struggle because, frankly, there's internal human conflict going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the younger people are, are so digitally savvy um, and have that digital intelligence, which I call DQ. This is why I say it's EQ for DQ. And I think organizations for the future are well-suited to create a generational potluck where each generation or each person brings what they know best to the table, and we all share that. So I just have a quick question about that. Um, you, yeah. So with this, you know, you're, you're talking about how you're coming in and you're 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 learning. You're you're talking about how you're being this this curious person in the room, asking questions and things like that, and helping people along. But you said I, I forget. I, I read this somewhere. I don't, it, it, I don't think it was the book. It was somewhere else. Um, where you were talking about how at the height of your powers, you know, you're you're in a pretty entrenched industry, which which is the hotel industry, and you come in to this uh, as you talked about this new this new thing, like what is Airbnb? What is Airbnb? Like it's I'm sleeping in somebody else's house or whatever. Um, sure. What was your learning curve, kind of as you're coming into that? Can you talk to us a little bit about that, and what does that look like to kind of go from something that's probably a an entrenched and more traditional thinking entrepreneur? industry to this new thing. Can you talk to us a little bit about your learning curve? I'm this. I, you, you guys are good. Um, so this is fun. I, I had to have one. The thing that's interesting is as you get older, there's a sense and maybe a stereotype that you get set in your ways. And I think there's some truth to that for some people. But actually, I, I, the, the people who I know old, older than me, what they say is the, the old, longer I'm on earth, the more things I know I don't know. And then the question is, when you know you don't know that, what's your reaction? It's almost like a a decision tree. Do you learn more as a result or do you shut down? Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I didn't know anything about home sharing five and a half years ago when Brian Chesky reached out to me. Didn't know a thing. I was like, well, really? People staying in each other's homes? But actually, weirdly, I was a boutique hotelier starting in the 1980s. At age 26, I started the company. And back Marriott and Hilton said, really? People staying in a boutique hotel and not getting the predictability of a Holiday Inn or of a, of a Marriott? Well, guess what? Yeah, boutique hotels became a big deal. And over time, Marriott and Hilton had to start making themselves look more like a boutique hotel. So I think home sharing, I think the thing to learn for me in that experience was – if you are open to learning and you're sort of willing to be this, th- that person in the room who's most curious uh, and, and you're not built, you're, you're not, you, there's certain assumptions you bring that you maybe hold on to. And then there's other ones you actually start to let go of. For me as a hotelier, I had to let go of the idea that people needed daily maid service. Most Airbnbs don't offer that. And so I was like, thinking, like, well, who's going to clean the clean the room or clean the house or, you know, make your bed? Yes, these people are willing to make their bed or not make their bed because they're actually saving seventy five or one hundred fifty dollars a night by staying in an Airbnb. And if you're the average length of stay for an Airbnb guest is twice as long as a hotel. So why wouldn't you want more space? So what I had to start realizing is there's a whole new demographic. Not only is it just millennials. Now, a lot of people my age, I'm 57 now, say, oh, well, Airbnb is just a millennial thing. Uh, wrong. Millennials just figured it out earlier. 
But there's a growing number of people who are global nomads. Uh, my favorite folks are the senior nomads, Michael and Debbie Campbell, who sold their home at age, it was like when she was 58 and he was 68. Now, five years later, they, they've been on the road for five years, staying in over 200 Airbnbs in 80 countries. They're called the senior nomads, and they're just profiled for the second time in the New York Times. So there are a lot of people who are looking at travel not as being in a little box. Because if you think about it, a hotel is perfect for three or four nights. A home, you know, if you're going to be renting an apartment, you do a monthly lease or, a, um, or an annual lease. But what about the person who wants to stay for two weeks somewhere? I mean, or, or even seven days. Airbnb is a really good alternative. Now, I'm not saying Airbnb is not a good alternative for a two-night stay as well, and lots of people do that. But it's, I think the use case that makes the most sense, which I did not understand five and a half years ago, is the person who wants to stay a little bit longer. And that's the fastest-growing segment of the travel industry today. Mm-hmm. So Airbnb rode a wave, is riding a wave, which is the, the biggest wave in the industry right now, which is people doing an extended stay. So you mentioned something that I'm curious about. You talked about how whenever you were getting into Airbnb, you had to drop your assumptions of what hospitality was. Was there anything in particular that helped you do that? Because I'd see that, you know, that's just true in a lot of industries. You know, whenever I mean, a good example is, you know, Blockbuster and Netflix. They had to drop their assumptions. So what what did you do to help um, like foster that or to learn to drop your assumptions of what? hospitality might be well let me see it's a nuance there's some things you need to drop and then there's some things you don't need to and this is what is sort of again if you're just somebody who doesn't like asking bigger questions like that then you probably um aren't going to do well with this but i had so some of the pieces of hospitality i had to sort of stay you know true to like for example that creating a human to human connection where you feel connected with someone um, is is important, or feeling like the value proposition is such that you feel like you're getting a good deal is important. Those are those are true back in my boutique hotel era days, and they're true today. And frankly, boutique hotels really took the idea of predictability of chains and turned it into adventurous travel. Boutique hotels, in essence, created the path for Airbnb to come along. But what did I have to, have to let go of? I had to let go of the fact that I knew how many maids could could how many rooms a maid could clean in an eight hour day. That is of no help to an Airbnb host who has a cottage in their backyard and they're doing their own cleaning. Yes, I can help with in terms of what are some cleaning solutions that will help you. I can get into the weeds, so to speak, on that. But the fact that the industry is that, or, or the fact that there's so, certain ways that you do sales to actually um, do a to actually book a corporate group for for twenty rooms in your hotel. That's meaningless. Now, the knowledge about how corporate corporations think about where their guests or their employees are going to stay was quite meaningful. And I was in charge of uh, setting up the business travel function at Airbnb. And there are now seven hundred thousand companies who have corporate accounts with Airbnb globally. Wow, that is a hell of a high number. Seven hundred thousand companies. So. My knowledge of how uh, companies think about travel was helpful. What was not helpful was the fact that, you know, someone, how does a company 
book uh, an offsite retreat for 20 people. Well, most Airbnb hosts don't have 20 rooms. So that's not particularly helpful. So uh, I think that, you know, the fact that there are some pieces that were helpful and some pieces that weren't, and that I could actually determine that and, and be available for our host community to ask me questions was, I think, part of the reason that I was well regarded. Mm-hmm. Was there anything, you know, I'm just thinking back to whenever you first came on at Airbnb and you started working with Brian, were there any guidelines or conversations that you had that you think helped set up your success in this, um, in this role that you're in? Yeah, I think one of the first things, there are two things I talked about. Um, I wrote a book a few years ago called Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow and Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And, and Brian had read that. All three founders had read that, and they liked it, and that's part of the reason they asked me to join. So one of the things I talk about in that book is the difference between a transactional leader and a transformational leader and a transactional company versus a transformational company. Um, Booking.com and Expedia are transactional companies. They are well-suited for what are called online travel agencies, OTAs, in that they basically provide you a transaction, but not much more than that, similar to Amazon. And you know, Amazon's proven that you can be an amazing transactional company and create a great company out of it. But Brian said, I want to be a transformational company. And I said, okay, well, then there's a different path for a transformational company. It's building a community. It's actually having a point of view that's beyond the transaction. It's you operating from a transactional place as a leader rather than a, tra- a transformational place as a leader than a, rather than a transactional place. The second thing that we talked about was the idea of mindset. Um, Carol Dweck from Stanford is a psychologist who wrote a book called Mindset. And mindset's very much about learning. It's the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And what we talked about was the idea of, do we want to be a growth mindset company or a fixed mindset company? Because if we're actually a growth mindset, that means we're willing to make mistakes. And we're willing to actually have a very big appetite for how we, how we grow. If we want to have a fixed mindset, that's okay. Let's just prove ourselves, but let's play in a, a smaller sound, sandbox. And I said to Brian, are you open to having a growth mindset? And he says, yeah, that's me. You just described me. And I said, well, then you have to hold me accountable for me to have a growth mindset as well. Because it's a little bit harder, frankly, as you get older to have a growth mindset. Because in some ways, you've accumulated all of this sense that you're an expert. And if you're an expert, you're supposed to like have all the answers. And I want to be able to be just as helpful in having lots of questions. And so setting that up on the front end was really helpful. So this kind of is a perfect lead into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is this. So you've talked about you're entering into a company of, of a bunch of, of people who are a lot who are, who are they're younger than you. They have different life experiences than you have. So what I'm curious is, is as uh, both as the boss, so as the, the, the person who is, who owns the company, runs the company, but also now in this new, this new role where you find yourself as a, as an advisor, what are you looking for in the younger people who are around you? Like, what would you want? If you, if you had the ability to tell younger people working today, like what are some things that you're looking for? What do you want from them? And that, and that can be mindset. That could be tools they're working with, all of that. What are some things that you've observed just in your time at Airbnb that you're looking for with that? Um, two couple thoughts. One is collaboration skills. Someone could be the smartest person in the world, but if they're not very good in playing on teams – or in articulating it in a way that helps other people understand it, mm-hmm. it's, it's wisdom that stays with them. Now, when wisdom is most valuable when it can be shared and then utilized across an organization. And I think a lot of people are um, 
uh, a lot of people in general, not just young people, but that we, you, you get so set in your own way of thinking about something. And frankly, you're in the echo chamber of your brain about how it all works, but they're not able to either collaborate or articulate, and maybe both in some cases, in a way where other people understand it. So I, I appreciate people who have um, really great ideas and can communicate them in a collaborative way. And I think the other piece in terms of young, young versus older is I, I can say it in my own case. Uh, you know, when I was young and I started my company when I was 26, um, I had a lot of hubris. And hubris is a, um, and frankly, which, which is a way of saying confidence, but co- hubris is confidence um, on steroids. Uh, think Travis Kalanick at Uber. Yeah. Hubris. Which, you know, if, 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 if Travis had had a modern elder like me at his side, like Brian did, Travis might still have his job. Um, but um, hubris is um, valuable in going out and selling a venture capitalist. It is not necessarily valuable in operating and leading a company, and it is definitely not necessarily valuable in going out and, build, and building relationships with regulators, etc., so what I look for from young people is are they in the process of moving from hubris to humility? Now, humility, um, when you're young, humility isn't necessarily a prized quality. In fact, contentment isn't a prized quality either. One of the things very clear in psycho- psychology studies is happiness is more important when you're young. Contentment is more important when you're older. Interesting. Um, so happiness, so, so uh, being in a place of humility is something that when you're younger, you're not necessarily taught to be humble. I mean, you might be, it depends on the upbringing, but especially in the world of technology, humility doesn't earn you a lot of points when you're young. So the thing that humility does over time is it allows you to know that you don't know it all. It allows you to collaborate. It allows you to build um, friends and not enemies. When you, when you have a, a lot of hubris, you are going to create a sort of us versus them mentality with the world. And I promise you, when you start struggling, the them loves to see you struggle. Mm. There are a lot of people out there who are really happy to see Travis actually do his nosedive at Uber because over the course of a few years, he pissed a few people off. So what I look for from younger people is that the ability to mix humility uh, with confidence. And I actually think um, wisdom, as was defined by a a professor at Stanford Business School, Bob Sutton, um, uh, as the perfect alchemy of confidence and doubt. And I think that when people get to a place in their life where they know the right alchemy, when do you dial up the doubt and when do you dial up the confidence? And uh, that's what wisdom is. And so a person can be wise at age 25 if they know that the way to look at their life and their world is a combination of confidence and doubt. The problem is that when most tech entrepreneurs in their 20s or 30s are going and selling themselves, they're not selling themselves to a venture capitalist based upon doubt. They're selling themselves based upon confidence. So the way we've created the, the playing field for young entrepreneurs is to be incredible full, incredibly full of confidence. When you do that, you are full of blind spots. And that was my probably one of my greatest um, uh, offerings to Airbnb 
is to help Airbnb see some of its blind spots along the way. And that required a certain amount of doubt in the company. Love that. Well, we, I think we did a disservice. We we haven't uh, we haven't had you define yet what a modern elder is. You've said the word, you said the phrase a couple times, but I mean, it really is. I mean, it's your book. I mean, that's what you talked about um, with your book. Can you define for us what a modern elder is? I think you've kind of hit on all of the traits and stuff that it is, but can you just give us like your definition of what that is? Yeah, a modern elder elder is as much of an intern as they are a mentor. They're basically somebody who realizes that in a world where accumulated knowledge actually does expire in a faster and faster rate, that if your purpose as an older person is purely to dispense historical wisdom, uh, you will become more and more obsolescent. So a modern elder is someone who uh, mixes a curiosity and a learning capacity and desire with the wisdom they've developed along the way that they can offer to others. And so um, in the context of technology is very much, I think, somebody who's built the emotional intelligence and realize, realizes that's one of the greatest things they can share with someone else um, it, who's younger. And that younger person can share that digital intelligence, as I was saying earlier. Um, but I also think modern elders have know-how and know-who. The know-who is, frankly, my know-who in the, in the travel industry was very helpful to Airbnb. Because I was a longtime well-known hotelier in the industry, I knew a lot of people, and we had nobody else in Airbnb when I joined, when we had 400 employees. Not one person came from the travel or hospitality industry. Mm. And here we were a tech company on the path to trying to become a hospitality brand. So my, my network, or what we used to say in the old days, my Rolodex, um, was very helpful to the company as we um, built relationships in the industry. And then I know how wasn't so much just the historical know-how. At times it was just being, you know, when you've been on earth longer, you've probably read more articles, more books, more white papers. And so what happened is a lot of people would come to me saying, Chip has a lot of knowledge. It's like he's got a librarian in his head. He's got all these different (laughs) ideas. And so people would come to me with lots of different ideas and I would just sit and listen and then say, say, have you ever read about Carol Dweck and her theory of mindset or um, have you ever read this white paper on motivation theory and uh, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation? Or have you heard of Dan Pink's podcast um, about motivation? Um, uh, and so I, I think that there's elements that it, if you're a really thoughtful modern elder, you're someone who has built a, a really great library of knowledge that can be helpful to others. And like a great company librarian, Google can serve you 100,000 answers over the course of a few couple of questions, but a, a, an amazing librarian will serve you just the right nuanced answer that you were looking for. And that's what, a part of what I think an elder, modern elder does as well. Part of what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say is, is that there's lots of ways that a person can get information it's it's the the role that you play is kind of is pointing out what what is needed and that brings up and you've talked about this a little bit earlier but uh, emotional intelligence and understanding that can you can you talk a little bit more because you mentioned it earlier but the the importance of in in a 
in an industry that that's moving so quickly, like what what Airbnb is kind of in right now with with tech, can you can you talk a little bit more about the the importance of emotional intelligence? Um, I mean, intelligence is important. We need people who know what they're doing. We need people who who can develop the technology, whatever. But can you tr- can you talk about that importance? Because it really seems like that's that's the key feature whenever it comes to to understanding that you need people around you who can do that. Does yeah. that make sense? Um, well, first of all, I'll give you the punchline and then I'll come back. There's been a number of recent studies that have shown that diverse teams, uh, whether it's gender or it's race or age, um, make for better decisions. And it's partly because they don't get into groupthink. Uh, groupthink group can sometimes work. If you're a military team and you need to go and, and climb that hill and storm, the, yep. you, know, you do need hierarchy and you need a, a – everything's in unison. You do not need people asking why and what if questions. But if you're st- doing a startup and you're in the early stages of how you're growing and if your customer – especially if your customer base is across all age demographic, the idea that um, you are creating a team uh, that actually can work well together is pretty essential. And there's a recent study that showed that 60% of the startups that did, that failed, um, when they really looked at it, had a failure of human interaction. It wasn't so much that they had, yes, they ran out of money, but the way out, running out of money was partly because they had a bad inter- human interaction with their investors, or they had co-founder d- discord, or they built a bad culture. And so all of these things, the last three things I've mentioned, are, all relate to the human relations of actually how people get together and, and connect with each other. So um, emotional intelligence, even in a tech company, you could sort of say, well, gosh, um, the emotional intelligence is not important at Google. Well, Google did an important study. It's called Project Aristotle, and they looked at what are the ingredients of what makes a successful team? So I don't think anybody will quarrel with the fact that even in tech companies, teams are important, and therefore you know, creating the best team performance is important. So Google being you know, like incredible learners that they are, they did a two-year study, and they thought there would be, be a collect. They, they weren't sure what they would find, but what they actually found was the number one ingredient for successful teams at Google was creating the leader, creating psychological safety for a diverse group of people to all feel like they could work well together. And that is about emotional intelligence. It wasn't actually what they thought. What the number one supposition they had was that the a team is best made up of this ingredients. You need a a designer who's who's got a really good aesthetic eye. You need an MBA who knows about business, who's, a, who's maybe a product manager. You need a brilliant engineer. And then you need some other person who sort of like just mixes it up. Well, actually, the mixture of teams was not the number one ingredient. The number one ingredient across all teams was how do you create psychological safety? And they found that the older a person was, the more they understood that and created the space for that psychological sort of, uh, safety to occur. So I think that the thing to, to learn here is just because you're, you're young doesn't mean you're brilliant, and just because you're old doesn't mean you have EQ. You can, at age 25, have both EQ and be a technologically brilliant person. Uh, and so the, the, the thing to know is that your success as a leader 
your success in business or in organizations is is both. Um, some people will specialize in one or the other. If you're able to have both, um, you're likely to have a more successful path. And you know, sometimes people say, "Well, look at Steve Jobs. He was a just awful EQ." Yes, he was. But if you look at Steve Jobs in the second time he came back to Apple, and you talk to people who know him during that time versus the, those same people who knew him in the earlier time, he had adapted partly because his hubris had actually, you know, he, basically he'd had to become humble, mm-hmm. and he learned that yes, he was a tech, he was a perfectionist, and so he'd be really tough in terms of what his expectations were, but his way of communicating things started to improve. Uh, and that was, I think, partly a function of some emotional intelligence he built over the course of um, his 30s and his 40s. So what would you say have been maybe one or two uh, big lessons that you've learned from Brian from the other uh, Airbnb co-founders? I think um, one of the lessons I've learned, which was fascinating, was I, just how fast a global network effects business work, uh, you know, grows. Um, I remember when five years ago when we were moving into a new headquarters soon after I joined and I was like, we took a whole big building and I was like, we we have 20% of this building. We have the lease on the whole building. You're nuts. That's a lot of money. And, and, and Brian said, listen, we will have three more of these buildings in five years. And he was right. And I was wrong. So bricks and mortar thinking, which is my history, bricks and mortar, you don't grow that fast. You know, the difference between innovation and disruption is technology. I mean, innovation has happened since, you know, creating the wheel. But te- what, what technology did was to actually take innovation and supercharge it into disruption and allow it to go global. And I didn't, I'd never heard of the network, a network effect. I didn't know what that meant. And so the network, Facebook has a network effect. The farmer's market, um, you know, the most popular farmer's market in a, in a community has a network effect. Because a network effect means that, People know eBay is a network effect. Buyer and seller come together. Well, that's what Airbnb is. And once you build a network effect, it starts to really um, create the flywheel effect that it, 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 it grows on its own. Um, and I didn't know a thing about that. So I'd say I learned a lot about that. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, the, the shifting um, lifestyle of millennials. You know, the history of people's lives, most definitely boomers and to some of your Gen Xers, was you learn till you're 25, you earn till you're 65, and retire. It's the three-stage life. And millennials have pretty much said, this is not the way I want to live my life. I want to be able to go and maybe learn till I'm 30 or 35, and I want to go on and do the remote year thing where I'm going to go to 12 different places around the world with a cohort of people. And I will be an entrepreneur on the road in 12 different cities around the world. And so you're sort of, that's like learning and earning and retiring all at the same time. Um, And so the idea that you can live your life as a digital nomad, you know, that your mobile device and a Wi-Fi connection means that you are, are no longer moored, you're unmoored, you're, you're able to be somebody who can go and live in all kinds of places. And, of course, that's part of the reason Airbnb grew, because a lot of people live that way, and living and staying in people's homes affordably is an important part of that. Um, but I had never really sort of seen it myself. And I, I, so I, I think the, the evolving cultural landscape was very much something I learned at Airbnb as well. Yeah. Well, 
Chip, just as we're getting ready to wrap wrap up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that you've started doing recently that's helping you professionally or personally right now? You know, learning Spanish. I'm learning how to surf and I'm learning Spanish and I'm 57 years old. First of all, I, I wrote a, uh, an article on LinkedIn recently about the advice I'd give to a 10-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 50-year-old. My advice to a 10-year-old is, damn, lose your, learn your foreign languages when you're young. It's a lot harder when you're older. But I think the element of empathy about just l- learning a language is interesting. And then also the surfing. I mean, you know, surfing is about learning how to attune yourself with the wave. Um, I have been a person in my life who has been focused on attaining. I'm really an attainment junkie, meaning I'm very type A. I like to go out and get what, I, what I'm looking for. Attaining and attuning are two different ways of being in the world. I, surfing has forced me, as has yoga, which I'm not all that good at either. Um, you have to attune to, to, do, to surf. You have to attune yourself to the wave. Um, as a yoga enthusiast, you have to tune yourself to like opening your body up and stretching out. Attunement is really what great companies do and entrepreneurs do to their customer. They actually sort of get, the, you know, to attain is like you have a business plan and you're going to go out and do it. But to attune means you actually start to imagine with a level of empathy the needs of the customer, and you evolve the product as such. And I would say that at Airbnb, I, was, I became a, an attunement specialist for both the empathy toward our hosts and our guests in terms of, you know, what is it we need to do as a company to address their needs um, as opposed to just being focused on what we think they want. Mm-hmm. What, um, what advice would you give to somebody um, who, who's really wanting to begin to learn, and it could be any. It could be learning about anything. It could be learning about, um, yeah, it could be le- about learning about what would what's something that that some type of advice you would give to somebody in that situation. I would say learn learn as if you are. It's a little bit of a noise there. Um, learn as if you are doing it in private. When you know when when I'm surfing. And I imagine people on shore watching me just fall over and over again. You you don't you're not willing to put yourself in an embarrassing position. Where, and so so the idea of learning as a personal experience and not one that judges your character, um, one that actually says again I'm improving myself by learning as a, as opposed to proving myself. So I would say the most important lesson is the first. Um, however many hours, depending on what you're learning, it could be the first 10 hours or the first 100 hours, are really hard. Uh, And you may learn fast, but you'll also make a lot of mistakes. And I think the idea that you're going to actually start to, at some point, get it, um, means that you need to be willing to go through the pain, ego-wise, of looking like a klutz or sounding like one um, or feeling like one and, and accept that that's the process to get there. When you were a kid, you know, frankly, when you were learning how to walk as a kid, you were willing to fall down over and over again. Why is it that as an adult, you're not willing to do the same when you're trying something new? Sure. If you could have everybody learn one thing, and it could be anything, it could be anything, what would that one thing be? I think self-awareness. 
being able to have a level of awareness of what it is that you're passionate about, what what is that you know, understanding your emotions. You know, we're not we don't I don't know about you guys, but no one there's no high school class on learning your emotions. <laughs> and and sometimes we learn it from our parents, and that was not exactly the, the best place to learn it either. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea that learning how to become more aware about you know what uh, what environments you thrive in. Um, there's a there's a phrase that is really interesting. It says that as people get older, they get better at environmental mastery. Mm-hmm. Environmental mastery is knowing that you're a plant, and a plant has a habitat that it, it thrives in. And that's true of humans as well. And being able to be a master of knowing where do you put yourself is a part, in order to be able to do that well, you have to have a certain amount of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And then our final question is, what are you learning right now? Uh, I'm learning right now the podcasting world. <laughs> you know, I have a book launching, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder next month. And I'm doing lots and lots of podcasts. And I'm fascinated by the, mo- you know, this is my fifth book. And this is a whole new thing for me. I mean, I, six years ago was my, six and a half years ago was my last book. And I did some podcasts. 11 years ago before that was my last week before that didn't do any podcast. So mm-hmm. the nature of how you market a book and how you yeah. get the word out is dramatically different today than it was when I created my first book 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, Chip, thank you so much for being on the learner's corner today. If people want to continue to learn from you and find the book, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, chipconley.com spells C-O-N-L-E-Y so chipconley.com you'll, you'll learn more about uh, everything but also I, I write articles on LinkedIn so my LinkedIn profile has a bunch of articles from me great awesome well thanks so much for being on the podcast today uh, enjoyed it thanks guys wow what a great conversation that we had Todd I know that that really resonated with you. What's a couple of things that you learned? So one of the big things he brought up that I, I've really been thinking a lot about, um, and, and he really kind of helped me frame it a little bit more, is emotional intelligence and the importance that emotional intelligence plays in our personal development. Um, and and it's, it's a muscle, I think, that a lot of us... We, we underestimate it. Totally do. And it's not something that we exercise and, and, and help to build. We just kind of think... Oh, I'm either I'm either thin-skinned or I'm or I'm what or I'm whatever. You know, I can read a room, I can do whatever, but it's something that's so critical. It's so mission critical to what we're trying to accomplish and what we're doing. That as we um, as we're developing ourselves, it's something we need to pay attention to. And and I think that he frames it wonderfully when he talks about how if he could have everybody learn one thing, it would be emotional intelligence and really being able to flex that muscle more. Um, and then also understanding that through the lens of him being an older leader, somebody who, who has been through a lot of wars, a lot of battles, and understands that. And, and as he's kind of looking back and saying, if there's one thing that I, I would love to have known and developed more whenever I was younger, it would have been that. I think that's brilliant. Um, the other thing that I really think about is um, in that conversation, you know, him, him being a person who um, at his age, uh, being flexible enough to understand that, hey, I bring something to the table, but I'm entering into a new conversation. Mm -hmm. This conversation isn't hospitality as much as it's tech. It's technology. And so what are we going to do with that? And and being flexible enough. And by the way, having the emotional intelligence to know 
that he needs to adapt in the ways that he needs to adapt, but still be able to bring his intensity and his wisdom into that conversation. I think it was brilliant. Yeah, really. And this is a part of emotional intelligence too. the humility that um, that is just all throughout Airbnb's story yep. of both sides being willing to submit to one another in order to accomplish something great. And, you know, yeah, uh, Brian Chesky being willing to, to kind of open up himself to, to saying, hey, I know that I need some help here. I, I know that this is something where I need to bring you in to, to help me with this conversation as we're running our company. Brilliant. Love that conversation. Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast and whatever podcast player you use. On the next episode of the Learner's Corner podcast, we're going to be talking with Stephen Brewster. Brewster is one of our, our guys, and Stephen is a creative. He's a person who helps with coaching creatives. Um, he has tons and tons of experience in that world, um, particularly working in different church organizations. But um, the biggest thing about Brewster right now is he's officially back in Nashville. So that's all I got to say about that. That's going to be a phenomenal episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. The best way to make sure you Go don't team. miss that episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use, whether it's Apple or Overcast or Google Play or Stitcher or however you listen to the episode. Subscribe. Make sure you don't miss it. It'll be the best way to make sure that you don't miss this episode or our episode 100 coming up uh -oh. in a couple of weeks as well. I say uh-oh a lot. This is going to be so much fun. I can't wait for episode 100. This is going to be fun. Yep. Guys, I'm off my ADHD medicine, too, and Caleb's looking at me like you're an idiot. So, again, best way to make sure you don't miss it is by subscribing. Also, let us know if you're going to be at any of the places that we're going to be over the next few weeks, you know, in Akron, at Together Conference in Lancaster and Pennsylvania or in Atlanta. Just let us know. We would love to meet you, say hi, and learn from you. This is well. going to be fun. So. I got the playlist already. I guess until next time, my name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Ixenball. Keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.